Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with me uh, is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello there. Hello. It's been a long time. I know. So nice to see you. Welcome back. Thank you. And our trusty, dusty, research extraordinaire, audio, not visual, but guru guy, (laughs) Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey, Jason. Hi. A man of many words. All right. So (laughs) today um, we are seeing Christian for the first time in a long time. Yeah. I think the last time I was here, it was like uh, May, the middle of May. Middle of May. And as of this recording, we're in the middle of July. So a lot has happened. So let's do this. Let's do a quick recap. When last we spoke, you had just gotten back from Tennessee doing some editing, rewriting, and then you left us to go to France. So give us a, a recap before we sure. jump into France. So, um, you know, just to recap, I, and if you're turn, tuning in this week, the past two weeks I gave little mini updates since I've been back from France, but not a ton. And then um, I went on vacation. And so this is really our first time back as a team. Um, this is the first time really we're going to talk about what happened uh, in the actual production. So um, when I last saw you, we had gotten back from Tennessee. We had rewritten the script. We had um, laid out the assembly edit. I came back to Chicago. We refined the edit the composer, Jeff Kurtenacker, was working on the score. Then um, Jason Hoban was our post-production sound guy. He then, at the very last minute, put everything together. So um, I think the people that have one of the toughest jobs in a film is the sound crew because um, the post-production sound team always seems to get dumped on in my experience where um, the deadline is fast approaching. They can't do anything until the film is completely locked. The score is completely done. Then they can do their work. Sound effects, sound mixing, you know, the works. So for a feature length film, how much time did they have to do their job? Oh my word. Um, They really had, Jason probably had a week and, um, you know, that, that was truly like the last week. What we tried to do to get him prepared, we did this for Jason and for Jeff. It was not the way it should be done, but in, we knew we were on such a bad time deadline. When we would finish an act, we would pass it off to those guys so they would hear it, listen to it, begin to work on it. So we did that in one-act increments. There are four acts in our film. And so it makes it challenging because then you have to – put the whole thing together. And right. it actually came back and bit us in the butt a little bit in France because Jeff was ended up scoring the whole film as one whole film, and he was able to put that together after he had worked on the acts. Jason um, had a challenging time because it threw off time codes and things like that. So to get everything synced back up was really hard for him, and he had very little time. And so um, things were just a tad bit off in the, you know, the way, you know, with the score and the rest of the film. Okay. But that was for the, when you were over in France screening the film. Yeah. And I think whenever I've told people from the time that I started rewriting the script to we were screening in Normandy, Mm -hmm. it was 12 weeks. And the film is almost two hours long, is two hours long. Like, they're like, that's not possible. 
and it truthfully isn't possible. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know. I was stunned, frankly, that we had anything to show at all, much less anything that um, profoundly impacted people like it did. So, um, and and that is a complete testament to my team. Um, we have an amazing team, largely made up of volunteers, and um, they worked their tails off to try to get something done so we could show it in Normandy. So if I understand correctly, in the 11th hour, they were handing off the actual film to you as you were walking on a plane or something? I, I, was, I was getting in the car to go to the airport when Richard Arbazani, we call him Rick, when Rick Arbazani delivered a, um, a, a flash drive in my hand that had the film on it. That sounds like its own little film. It 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 it, <laughs> it, it is. It is. It is and it it really was the 11th hour. And I mean it was worse than that. And and then uh, and this will be a story for another time. I didn't even use it. Oh. <laughs> so did they watch something in France when you were, flew they over did. there? They did. They did. Yeah, you <laughs> I acted out the whole film on stage all Live by myself. Storytelling by Christian Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Not what they expected. All right. So shall we jump into France then? Yeah, let's jump into okay, France. Okay, so you flew to France. Uh, it's the anniversary of D-Day. There's screenings planned. I mean, you are with the girl who wore freedom. So, so tell us about your adventures in France. So I went over there on May 21st. I flew over just with my husband. And we were staying in the town of Carentan. If you don't know what Carentan is or where it is, look it up on a map. Um, it was a important, critical Allied objective. Um, it sat in between Omaha Beach and Utah Beach. And in order to bring all of the Allied forces together to push together to get Cherbourg, the port of Cherbourg, which is the f- deep water port that was the first major objective of the Allies, they needed to go straight through. Through Carentan, and there was a big German resistance in that town. So that is where I stayed, super historic town, right near the downtown called the Place de Republique, and um, where the uh, Silver Star ceremony on July or June twelfth was held. Look that up; that's a super cool. There's video online okay. about that. Um, so I stayed there, and I stayed. Uh, in this tiny little studio apartment that would become my home for a month. Uh, It was owned by Jean-Marie Caillat and his wife, Sylvie, um, who are cast members of ours, and and several of our other team members. There was a little complex. Their dad used to have a woodworking studio in the back of their boyhood home, and they uh, turned it into these little studio apartments. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend staying there. It's on Airbnb. Um, Anyway, so we uh, ended up there. That was May 21st. I think I had three or four days to make sure that everything was ready for our first screening. Our first screening was held at the Utah Beach Museum uh, because the Utah Beach people have been our biggest champions. Uh, they have helped us an incredible amount from uh, you know helping us get footage, archival footage and, and photos. Um, you know, history, timelines, um, just about anything we ever needed. We filmed in their space. They were our largest production partner in France. So not to mention uh, Charles de Valavier, who was sort of the, uh, he's, I don't even know what they call him, but his father founded 
the Utah Beach Museum, Michel de Valivier. He's in our film. And then um, now he sort of oversees that. He's the assistant mayor of St. Marie Dumont, where the Utah Beach Museum is. Um, so without Charles de Valivier, none of this would have happened All because right. he was the first French person that signed on and he's a very important guy in that whole Normandy world so that was the first place we screened it plus that's where the dress is so Danny had donated her first dress to the Utah Beach Museum and of course I think that was only right that we showed it there so earlier you mentioned the flash drive that was handed off to you uh, of the actual movie was not used in France correct so what did they screen at the museum so what happened was, thankfully, I went over early and I did the test before my um, editor, Bill, left. So um, he was able to help me. When I got over there, I discovered that the flash drive that they gave me wouldn't work Um, We thought it was just maybe the Utah Beach system, but it didn't work anywhere. It didn't work in any of the um, museums or theaters that we were at. So basically, everything on that drive was not usable. So were you having a heart attack at the point? Oh, are you kidding? I was freaking out. Um, The other thing that we discovered is there were... um, there were challenges with the film, so I did not get to look at it before um, before it was, like, mastered. So I didn't get to look at what was going on with the color. I didn't get to look and check and make sure the film was correct before I was to show it. And I couldn't because it was all on this little flash drive mm-hmm. that I couldn't play and hadn't had time. So Bill had looked at it and said, you need to really look at the color and you need to look at. So once we finally did, the color was really off. It wasn't consistent. Um, It was way too dark. Um, It wouldn't have been what I would have done. Um, And there were things that, I guess, got accidentally changed or something, fonts that weren't what I had chosen. Um, And... There were images that were left out, not included. And a lot of that, I'm sure, happened because we were rushing at the end. Um, and so the film just wasn't right. It wasn't what I handed But off. how did you see the film? So Bill screened it first, like in the United States. Okay. So he had, he had a version of the film that had been put somewhere. He'd seen it. And then um, I eventually saw it because he uploaded it to an online thing that I could see. So we could oh. tell it wasn't what we had put together. So Bill spent a lot of time trying to restore to what it was before we had like turned it over to um, other people. And um, we got it somewhat close to what it had been before. And then he uploaded the film and I had to download the film to a different drive-in computer, and ultimately we had to use French computers um, to be able to play the film. Um, the other thing that was super upsetting for me, and I didn't understand at the time... I, I didn't know there was such a thing as French compute computers. Is that a... Well... Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, again, I don't really completely understand, but when we got a French flash drive, that worked, and when we uh, used people's computers that live in France, 
those worked. They're just still prejudiced against Americans. Isn't that right? <laughs> I have no, I, you know, you know, they have a different, I mean, like they're, there are lots. Their systems, their electronic stuff is different. Okay. So they, you have to kind of like their master outlets. things. They, yes, they like run their on outlets. Fifty hertz electricity. We run on sixty, so that can cause issues. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, and you know yeah. how DVDs are? They have to be recorded in PAL. Yeah. So I mean, there's just weird, funky things that I didn't understand that I think may be at the bottom of why we were having um, incompatibilities. And you have to remember, I had no technical people with me. Mm. I I have no technical people in France. My technical people didn't come, so I was just by myself, and so I really had no choice, um, you know, but to like figure something out. So um, we ended up. Uh, doing the first screening with my co-producer Michelle Coupe, her computer, and we had we had down we had downloaded the film um, from online and then put it on her computer, and that's how we showed it. But it looked awful, and it sounded awful. Okay, <laughs> and I was devastated. I was like, I cannot believe I have to show this. It was terrible, um, and so. I found out much later that it do, it did have to do with everything, like the projector, the screen we were oh. showing it on, the uh, sound system, the way the room was treated. Like, it's a very old auditorium. They only play one video on a loop. It's very one time. You but know, here, so. here's the thing, though. I mean, you know what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. No one else has any idea what it's supposed to look Bill, like. Bill knew okay, what it was right. supposed But I mean, to look I'm like. talking about in France. You know, True. That, so True. what was the response after the first showing? Right. So we get there. Of course, I have to let all of that go. I know right. nobody else really knows. And um, everybody is so excited. So I really keep stuff close to the vest. I don't really go out there and air our dirty laundry, right? Um and my husband's there. My husband had brought two really close friends that he was excited to share the film with. A lot of our cast members were there. Um, everybody was just so super excited to be there. So that all that helped, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is before the D-Day week begins. So um, we're still... Um, you know, capitalizing on people's excitement that this anniversary is coming. Um, and after it, after that first screening was over, I mean, there, I don't know if there was a dry eye in the oh, room. Wow. Like, I mean, it really was, it really touched people. I think um, there were people in the audience who were surprised maybe they weren't in the film. There were people that were surprised they were so much a part of the film. Um, you know, there were strong reactions about um, the way we chose to tell the story, and some agreed, some didn't, didn't agree. But for the most part, everybody loved the film. So people came up to you and said, I disagree with how the film or the story was told? Not, not in so many words, but for example, this I found to be so fascinatingly funny. The French people predominantly were the ones that watched this film all the way through. It was predominantly French people. For the most part, the French people, their responses to me were, it's too much French. You need to, there's too much, you need to cut out this person and this person. (laughs) There's too many French things here. Like they wanted more of the Americans. So roughly the first hour of the film covers, um, it, it covers 
my journey. This is how the film started. Then it talks about meeting these different people that were survivors of the occupation. And it and and so I interview them. So the first um, three acts are me talking to these French people and finding out what happened on D-Day, the, the euphoria that they felt in the beginning when they first were liberated, the sadness and the awful, terrible things that happened at the hands of the Allied bombings and, you know, things like that. And then we began to talk about how the relationship developed between the French, the French Normans and the Americans. And so then we begin talking about that with the children because that's where the relationships began and then with the older people. So that's the first three acts or the first hour of the film. The second hour takes us into the celebrations and how those relationships developed over the years and how they began these ceremonies and what the relationship looks like now. And that's largely has to deal with the veterans. And we talk about all these different veterans and the relationships they built with the French people. We interview American veterans. We interview modern day soldiers. Um, And so it's the American part. And of course, the French people wanted more of that. I see. Well, let's do this. So you're, you're in France. You had your first screening. Not a dry eye. People loved it. People giving you feedback, of course, right? Um, on the next podcast, let's... Because you, you're in France for how long? A month. A month. So you've only had one screening, and now you've got probably what, another good three weeks ahead of you. Yeah. Three or four weeks. So let's hear about that on the next podcast. Sounds great. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Bye, everybody.